Hey, this is Brandon Emma Richardson, and we are the pastors here at Slate Church based in Waterloo, Ontario, and this is our Sunday podcast. We really hope this message inspires you to lean into all that God has for you. If you would like to get connected with us, follow us on social media or go to slatechurch.com. And hey, it helps us a lot if you would rate, review, subscribe, and share this podcast. Join us for today's message. Matthew 4, verse 1 through 11. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and his angels came and attended him. All right. Well, welcome everybody to Slate Church. If I haven't met you, my name is Brandon, and it's, uh, it's good, to, good to see you. And if we haven't met, hopefully I get a chance to meet you by the end of today. As we step into Lent, you know, one further clarification that I just want to bring is sometimes the notion of Lent is uh, it lives in certain tradition in the back of our minds that it's a time to actually purify ourselves leading into Easter. And I just want to be very clear that as we observe Lent this season, that there's no intent to purify ourselves because Jesus is the only one that can purify us. And so this is simply a season to prepare ourselves for a time in the church calendar that we can make sure that we didn't just rush into it, but we're actually able to observe all that God um, has done for us. And so, um, yeah, again, if we haven't met, my name is Brandon. Uh, I pastor here alongside my wife, Emma. And uh, we have four wonderful kids that are all in kids' ministry. And our kids' ministry, if you haven't um, been there or, or even put your kids in there, I know some of us are hesitant. Um, it's just a wonderful, wonderful place, and they're just doing such a good job. Yeah, let's give it up for our kids' ministry. <clears throat> you know, I had to laugh because um, for this first week of our Lent series, we're going to be, um, uh, we're going to be walking through the temptation of Jesus. And I opened up my Bible today, um, and... Well, I open it up uh, often, but uh, I open it up today because usually I do all my study online and I pull up my scriptures online, and then I actually open up my Bible for the first time on the Sunday to actually preach out of that passage. And I I open it up, and uh, I forgot that this is the one page that my daughter, Claire, just ripped out of my Bible. Uh, Apparently, she thought, you don't need to know anything there. And I, I had to, like, tape it back into my Bible and so I'm like looking at this thing and I'm like, I don't know how I'm possibly going to, I don't know if you can see from back there, but it is just like mangled and it was already doing bad. The reason she ripped it out was because it was already partially ripped and she just thought she was doing me a favor. And so if, if anything here today um, just doesn't sound right to you or I get it out of context, it's probably because of that, okay? 
Temptation of Jesus. Um, George Whitfield, uh, a very famous evangelist, had this to say about the temptation of Jesus. He said, Dearly beloved, today, and this is the invitation for all of us in the room, today you are invited to take a walk into the wilderness, to behold, sympathize with, and get instruction and comfort from a Savior tempted. In the conflict, he approves himself to be God's beloved son, and the Father gives demonstrable evidence that with and in him, he is indeed well pleased. You know, this idea of Jesus' temptation is set within the context of Jesus just being baptized, something that we're going to be doing in our evening service today. We're going to be baptizing new believers that have made a decision to follow Jesus and are going public with that declaration. And as soon as Jesus is done being baptized, it says the Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted. This is fascinating because for us, at the high of our spiritual lives, during those highs of our spiritual lives, often the thing that we are, we are, we are hoping and yearning and longing for is not temptation, is not something that is going to bring us back a step, but is something that is going to continue that high. You know, we want to go to the Mount of Transfiguration and stay up there. We want to put up tents. And yet, for some reason, Jesus brings us back down. And this isn't a new phenomenon. This isn't something that is unique to Jesus. This isn't a, 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 a thing that Jesus does to be mean. It's not something his spirit does to create some sort, of, um, uh, uh, some, some sort of deficiency within his followers. In fact, this just seems to be the cycle and the process by which we go about our lives. Think about this. When it comes to even just physical feats, often on the, on the, the day after, the biggest physical feat we'll have in our life, the day after we are trying to recover, we're in, we need to give our, our, our body some time to just relax and recover and rejuvenate and all the rest. This applies to every area of our life. You know, there's a, there's a guy named Andrew Huberman. He has a podcast called The Huberman Lab. Does anybody listen to this? All right. There's more people than I, I thought. I, I was looking for Tanner. I, I knew Tanner was going to put his hand up. But that, this is a fascinating podcast. He's a neuroscientist. Neuro, um, he talks a lot on dopamine. And one of the things he talks about dopamine, which is the chemical reaction that happens in your brain um, following pleasure, is that he says, when you, when you experience pleasure in your brain, and this dopaminergic, I don't know how he says it, he's always saying these words, um, he says, after you experience this in your brain, you don't drop back down to baseline levels of dopamine, you actually drop below baseline. And for a while, I didn't really understand what this means, but then when I uh, brought this into the physical realm, it kind of makes sense, right? Like, I remember one time with a guy that used to go to our church, but he lives in Texas now, um, which is what a lot of us wanted to do in the last few years. I know that. Um, but I'm telling you, Texas doesn't have anything here on Canada. Um, but his name is Chris Rauch. And one day, uh, he was my cycling partner. We had this crazy idea. We're like, hey, why don't we cycle to Ottawa from here? I'm like, this is a great idea. And so, you know, we'd been, I'd had a, a bike for a few months, and I'm like, let's do it. And uh, we're like, well, how long do we need to go to Ottawa? And we were like, looking at it, it was 500 kilometers, and so we're like, well, you know, we're probably going to need at least four days, and that was like pushing it for us. And so we set aside four days in our calendar, we're like, we're going to go to Ottawa. And so the day, uh, the week arrives, and we're looking at the forecast, and we're like, oh, shoot, like we hadn't planned a backup plan for this. We didn't have another date on the calendar later on that, in that summer. This was the, this was the plan. This, there was no turning back. But when we looked at the weather, um, unfortunately, two of our four days were, were going to be raining, like absolutely pouring on the way to Ottawa. And so we we're like, you know what? Let's do it in two days. And so Chris Roush and I, on a Thursday morning, hop on our bicycles to drive to Ottawa, cycle to Ottawa in two days. Well, we made it to Coburg, which was halfway. That was 260 kilometers on the first day. 
And I have to tell you, I can't remember the next week of my life. No, quite literally. I, I can't remember. I, I was sitting with him this past, uh, or maybe it was a year ago in, uh, uh, for Christmas, recounting this trip. He's like, remember when your dad had to drive us home on that first night? And I'm like, what do you mean? And he's like, yeah, he drove us home. I'm like, didn't we stay in a hotel? He's like, we went to a hotel, but then your dad drove us home. And I'm like, there's no way. I woke up in a hotel and my dad drove me. He's like, you do not remember what happened. See, what had happened, I, I had gotten such bad heat stroke that I actually, it took me like a number of weeks to recover from what I had done to my body. I went into this thing totally depleted. I had 500 milliliters of water with me the day before. I didn't eat um, except for one meal the day before. I had three hours of sleep. I went into this thing. I totally depleted my body. See, I think what we wish we could do with our physical bodies is we go and do something like this. and We push ourselves really hard. And then the next day we return to baseline. It's like, okay, now I'm ready to go do the next thing. But often what happens is we have this depletion of sorts that happens in our bodies, and we actually re- we return to lower than baseline, and there's a recuperation that takes place. And this is why, even in the spiritual realm, similar to the mental realm and the physical realm, even in the spiritual, sometimes we will find ourselves on mountaintop experiences with God, and we wonder, why am I being tempted in the next? Why? Because we don't just return to baseline, but we return below baseline where we actually need some time for our souls to be rested in God. Jesus has this incredible experience. He has this baptism where the Father, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are represented. And here we have the Spirit leading Jesus into the desert where we would expect to go immediately into ministry. What we actually see is Jesus is tempted in the wandering place. Now, this isn't something that is all that uncommon in our own lives because a lot of us, we experience this. Day to day, we are being tempted by the variety of things that happen in our lives. There is a variety of things that face us. And honestly, the experience of Jesus, if anything, should give us hope in this room that there is a possibility to ward off the enemy schemes. Read in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. It says this, For we do not have a high priest, speaking of Jesus, who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Isn't this good news? Tempted in every way in which we are. I mean, that's, that's a hard verse to believe, is it not? You, you read this or you hear this, you're like, in every way, in every way. And what we see through the temptation of Jesus, in fact, there's many ways in which we are, and, and patterns and, 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 and habits in which we are, are, are tempted in, in ourselves, and it's represented within the story of Jesus himself being tempted, as was just read on the screen a moment ago. C.S. Lewis puts, this, puts um, Hebrews 4.15 in, uh, in these words. He says this, No man knows how bad he is till he has tried very hard to be good. Is that not true? <laughs> Have you ever tried to will yourself into a perfect life? That's when you know how bad you really are. A silly idea is, is, uh, that is current is that good people do not know what temptation means. This is an obvious lie. Only those who try to resist temptation know how strong it is. After all, you find out the strength of uh, you, you find out the strength of the wind by trying to walk against it, not by lying down. A man who gives into temptation after five minutes simply does not know what it would have been like an hour later. That is why bad people, in one sense, know very little about badness. 
They have lived a sheltered life by always giving in. We never find out the strength of the evil impulse inside of us until we try to fight it. And Christ, because he was the only man who never yielded to temptation, is also the only man who knows the full, uh, to the full what temptation means. The only complete realist. That's fascinating. This is why we can trust in Jesus. This is why when Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 says, Jesus has been tempted in every way that we have. He's been tempted more because he resisted it until the end, and that is our salvation. Amen. Amen. You see, when we look at the story of the temptation of Jesus, we almost see a, top, a topography of temptation, this, this escalating effect of what it means to actually be tempted. And when we actually, um, uh, when we read within 1 John uh, chapter 2, verses 15 to 17, we actually see the outline in which Jesus was tempted. In, uh, in, in 1 John, John is saying this. He says, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, uh, if anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. And then this is where he gives us the pattern for the temptation in which Jesus went through. He says, for everything in the world, the lust of the flesh... The lust of the eyes and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. And thus, in the story of the temptation of Jesus, we see these three things at play. First off, we see Jesus. He's on the desert floor. And the enemy comes up to him. And he says, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. See, what's being, what's being actually tempted in this moment, what is being appealed to is the desires of the flesh. This is the temptation. This is the lust of the flesh that the enemy is trying to appeal to and saying, listen, you are at a moment where you're at your weakest. You need to give in to that thing because by giving in to that thing, you are going to not only feel better, but you're also going to feel in control. And so what we see is that Jesus, after 40 days of fasting, is tempted with sensual desire. Now, sensual desire, for those of us that hear that word, we might think this only has to do with sexual relations or something that is sensual. But this has everywhere to do with the gamut from, from drinking water to eating food to the things that are desirable to us as a flesh. Remember, these are the baseline levels, uh, the, the baseline needs that Maslow goes over in his hierarchy of needs. These are the things that we desire day to day. And what the enemy is trying to get him at after depriving himself for 40 days is that very thing he is weak in. You see that rock over there? Turn it into into bread and you will be made full. This is the same temptation and the same false promise that is given to each and every one of us when we are weak in our flesh. It's just take the thing and you'll feel better. The problem is it's an empty promise. It lasts for a moment. This is something that we can be tempted with and something that will, will, will satisfy us for a moment, but the longevity of that satisfaction stops because we tried to get it in our own strength. This is the lust of the flesh. And we see Jesus actually combating it through the fact that he is fasting in this moment. There are many people uh, in this world that can actually move past lust of the flesh and then move on because once you um, resist those desires, we actually find um, in the second temptation of Jesus that, that they only keep coming. And the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand. This Bible is nearly impossible to read especially with the way the lights are, I feel like I almost need to pull this up in my Bible app here so that I can see what I'm reading. <clears throat> Where are we? We are in Matthew chapter 4. That is much better. 
Now, by closing the Bible, I don't mean that I am not teaching from it. I just mean that it, it is becoming convenient, and I have another Bible in front of me. <laughs> I once heard somebody judge, maybe me, uh, for closing the Bible at one point. They said, see, you close the Bible and don't teach the Word of God. And I'm like, well, that's interesting. Okay, here we go. <laughs> so just to be clear, I'm still reading from the Bible, just digitally. Is everybody okay with that? Show of hands for yes. Show of hands for no. Hello, Marcelo. No, you were late. You were late. I know. I knew you were bringing it down. <laughs> Paulo Marcelo is, is one of the most faithful. He's actually here studying my message so you can translate it into Portuguese in the next service. Why don't we give it up for Paulo Marcelo? For some reason, I've, I've heard that I am a hard person to follow. I speak too quickly, so I will try to slow down. Here we have the devil. It says it took, it, he took Jesus to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift, up, uh, lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. We see, <clears throat> there we go. We see in this that Jesus is being tempted by the lust of the eye. The lust of the eye is simply the lust for more. It's the lust to gain more. It's the lust to have more. It's the lust to be more. It's the lust of the eye. It's the lust of more. And what we see here is that all of a sudden the topography is raised up another level. And I love these kind of like these, these little gems within scripture, or these, these patterns within scripture where all of a sudden we see as Jesus resists the first level of temptation, all of a sudden he's brought to the next. One that a lot of us get stuck in as we chase the things that everybody else has around us, whether that's material possessions or like a house or a boat or a cottage or simply the best gear of whatever hobby you find yourself a part of or uh, those sorts of things. And what we see is that we actually... We, we see it elevated, and, and, and there's, there's this temptation to not only just get more, but actually to be more. If you would just jump down now, if you would just throw yourself off from this highest point, the angels would come. This isn't a temptation to really test God as much as it is a temptation to be the center of everything that's going on. We have to remember that where the enemy has led Jesus in this moment is at the very center of Jewish life. He's at the top of the temple. The temple is the center of Jewish life. And Jesus is at the very top of that thing. And what he's being tempted to do is not just be at the center of Jewish life, but actually throw himself down and once again put himself at the center of attention as God comes in and saves him from the very act that, that the devil is tempting him to do. In many of our lives, this is the very thing that's going on is we're continually tempted to be more, to get more, to be that thing. It's the lust of the eyes to have more, be more, do more, and essentially raise ourselves above the people around us, forgetting that it is God himself that raises, um, raises people up and lowers them. And Jesus says to, the, says to this temptation, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Well, the third temptation, the devil, um, the devil takes Jesus through. He says, again, the devil took him, again, to a higher place, took him to a very high mountain, and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. He says, all this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. See, right here, what we see Jesus being tempted with is the pride of life. 
this idea to be powerful, to have power, to have control, and to be able to control the, the, the things that are going on in his life. Jesus, in this very moment, as he rejects all of these things, we don't have reason to believe this is the only time Jesus was tempted, but we see him working through the levels of the things that we are tempted with in our life. Sure, many of us can, can eschew a, a sensual desire for a period of time, but then we get caught up in the desire for more. But sometimes we can even put that aside so that we might actually have power over those around us, power that is not gained by God giving it to us, but power that is given by us um, taking it upon ourselves. And what we see Jesus going is he's going, no, I reject that. He says, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. You see, when I read through this story of Jesus being tempted, I'm not always encouraged. <laughs> like I see Jesus and he's resisting all this temptation and I see him and I go, well, this is all really good because that's Jesus and Jesus is the most powerful being that's ever lived and Jesus is capable and Jesus was the God man. He was God with flesh on. He was both uh, God and man at the same time. Of course, Jesus can resist this temptation, but what does this actually mean for me? Because the symbolic nature of Jesus being put out into the desert follows the very nature of the Israelites wandering for 40 years. Jesus goes out there and he's alone and he's, res- he's relying on the, on the spirit of God to be filled, to fill him and to lead him and to guide him. But out in the wandering, it is a place that we feel desperately alone. And when we read at the very beginning from George Whitfield, to be invited in, to take a walk into the wilderness, to behold and sympathize with and get instruction and comfort from a savior tempted. I don't know about you, but I don't want to take that journey. I'm on that journey every day of my life. I'm on that journey most nights in my life. I'm on that journey every time something comes into my life that appeals to my sensual desire, my desire for more, or my desire for power. It seems like on a daily basis I am on this journey. And honestly, I'm not always, I'm not always comforted by the fact that Jesus was able to make it through because we go, of course he was supposed to be. He was supposed to make it through. But what does it mean for those of us in the room to take a look at Jesus' life And to not only follow his path into the wilderness, but to follow his path out of that place and into the presence and the strength of God. You see, one of the things that we have to understand and one of the themes that we see within the temptation of Jesus is that the enemy continues to appeal to his identity. You notice at least twice within this passage, the enemy says to him, if you are the son of God, then do this thing. Like so many of us are living under the weight of the guilt and shame that comes from, aren't you a child of God? A child of God would not do that. So many of us in the room right now are living under the guilt and the shame of a distorted identity as a child of God that doesn't release us into walking into freedom, but has us captive in the very question, if you were a son of God, if you were a daughter of God, if you were a child of God, you would not be doing X, Y, or Z. And here's the thing. Yes, the spirit puts to the death the things of the flesh, but in reality, we still live on this side of eternity where there is an already not yet process being happening before us. Jesus has already paid the price for sin, but it has not, not yet been completed in its fullness. And what we find ourselves often in is we are in this tension where we are children of God that are still struggling in the wake of sin being around us all over in the world. The reality is we need to be confident in our own identity as children of God. Jesus, in his confidence as the Son of God, the Son of God, the the Messiah, the the, the Savior of the world, in his confidence in that, he has the ability to push back the enemy. 
And what I want to say today is those of us that have been adopted by receiving what Jesus has done for us have the same ability to ward off the enemy because we don't have to be insecure in our position where where we find ourselves with God. We are children of the Most High God. We are children of the, the creator of the universe. We are children of the one that sent Jesus, paid a price on the cross, and paid a price for our sin. We can lean into that in which God has done for us. The same identity and the power of the identity that Jesus had to ward off the enemy is the same power of identity that we have living in us. I, I, I heard it said about the Spirit of God this way um, this past week. Um, most of us are aware of the Asbury revivals that were taking place for a couple of weeks and, and just kind of a fascinating move of God. And again, there's criticism that followed it and uh, somebody likened it to the the, the, the story of, of the woman just before Jesus is about to go to the cross and he's spending time with some of the followers that are following him. And there's this woman that breaks over an alabaster jar of perfume and puts it on Jesus' feet. And uh, of course, they're like, you could have sold that and, 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 and you could have like sold this and, and provided for the poor. Why are they doing this? And there was this critical spirit that was in the room when somebody was lavishing out this, this glory and honor onto God. And honestly, when it comes to these revivals, no matter how you feel about it, in reality, if God is being glorified, let us not criticize it. I mean, that's just a good rule of thumb. If God is being glorified, don't criticize it. God is being glorified by all these students. And, and uh, somebody uh, posted online in this past week that really spoke to me. They said this. They said, the same spirit of God that is at the revival in Asbury is the same spirit of God that is in you. The same identity that Jesus had that allowed him to ward off the devil is the same identity that God has placed in you. You have the power to ward off the temptations around you, not because you are strong, but because he is strong. And this is where Jesus gets his strength. Secondly, we see that Jesus consistently pushes back temptation because he knows and is able to recite the word of God over his life. Now, I wish that that could be a point in and of itself, but it has a caveat. Because for some of us, we are so book smart that we're actually quite far from God. And what I mean by this is even the, 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 the demons and Satan knows the word of God. So there needs to be a difference between knowing the word of God and being able to apply the word of God. There needs to be a difference between knowing the word of God and being able to speak truth over your life because truth can be distorted. In fact, everything that Jesus was tempted with in the, in the wilderness here is everything that Eve and Adam were tempted with in the garden. The pride of the flesh, or the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. These are the very things in which Eve was tempted with in the garden. What is the similarity? Both times the enemy approaches um, both Adam and Eve and approaches Jesus, he is taking truth and distorting it. The best lies are not lies that are blatantly in front of us. If somebody right now were to call me a terrible pastor, just somebody, somebody say it. I need to hear it. It's funny how one of my staff members was the first one to blurt it out. You're fired. <laughs> Let's just confirm. Not again. <laughs> Who said that? He's like, not again. <laughs> I don't know why that was so funny to me that you blurted that out. You're the most comfortable to say it. Everybody else is like, I'm not saying that. The thing is, is that if I was to hear that, I immediately am able to be like, I mean, I'm not, I'm not the best pastor, but I'm, I'm certainly not a terrible pastor. That's a blatant lie. I can throw it away. But if somebody was to come in with something more cutting, like one time, and this is one of those things that just cut deep, so I bring it up every so often. I was being very open in a, in a, in a message about my own personal struggles with OCD. 
And somebody came up to me after the, the message, and, and they said, hey, you don't, you don't always have to be so open. You might, you might be sharing a little too much, which is a great thing to tell somebody that's just recently been really transparent with a group of people. But all of a sudden, that lie sinks a little bit deeper. That thing sticks with you, and you go, maybe I shouldn't be so open. Maybe what the church needs is for me to actually just be a little more distant from them. See, the best lies don't come in the form of blatant lies. The best lies come in the form of what is, is perceived to be a truth with the distortion of what's actually being said. You see that the, Satan actually quotes scripture at Jesus to tempt him to throw himself down from the temple. But Jesus, with not just an understanding of scripture, but an understanding of how it should be applied and an understanding of truth that is undergirded by the spirit of God living inside of him, is able to respond with, with truth in, in, in response. So therefore, what we're actually looking for as Christians is not just an identity of being children of God, but it's also with the truth of God living inside of us, animated by the Spirit of God. It's not enough to know the Bible. We need to know what the Bible is trying to do. We need to know what the Bible is saying. We need to know the truth of Scripture so we can apply it to the lies of the enemy. And so Jesus, as uh, we read in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17, takes the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and conquers the enemy. Um, worship team, you can come up. The last thing that I want to touch on in how to ward off temptation is simply to, ex- to accept the fact that we are human. <laughs> accept the fact that we are, we, we are human. <laughs> and on the drive in here, I've been um, getting to know somebody in our church that I think many of you have been coming to know. His name's Danny. Uh, Danny's sitting up there, and does anybody know who Danny is? Yeah, Danny's uh, phenomenal. I, I, wouldn't, I don't want this to be his identity in our church because Danny is a man of God. But Danny's also a refugee from Thailand. He fled his home country of Pakistan, and I'm not going to share much of his story because that's for him to share with you if he wants to. Um, but on the way here, I've been driving him to church because for some reason, um, when he was sponsored to come to Canada, uh, they put him in St. Clement's of all places. <laughs> so he was looking up Waterloo, so excited to go to a city. When he's coming from Bangkok, he's like, oh, I'm going to get to like, I can walk places, take transportation, did all this research. And he gets put in St. Clement's. Um, those of you that aren't laughing don't know where St. Clement's is. And exactly, that's, that's exactly the problem. And so I've been driving him here. And, and on the way, I was just kind of sharing some of the nervousness I had around speaking this message this morning. And Danny said these words to me, and it's exactly how I want to end this message here today. He said, well, Brandon, we are whole humans. I don't like hearing that kind of thing because I, want, I just want to be only spirit. I only want to be the spiritual version of myself that God has, you know what I mean? I just want to be that part of me that God has, has fully saved, fully sanctified is the, the theological way of saying it. I just want to be that part of me, but unfortunately we are whole humans, which means everywhere I go, Brandon comes with me. The thing you need to be encouraged by is that your humanity and your whole humanness is not a surprise to God. And that's why he came. And that's why when you study every ancient world religion, and may I remind you, that the reason we talk about ancient world religions is because if we know the beginning of a religion, we know that man made it up. We study ancient world religions because we don't know the beginning. But when we look at ancient world religions, there is not 
There's, there's only one that says you don't have to come and do something or sacrifice something in order to be welcomed or, or covered by the gods. But there's only one that says, no, God himself came and paid the price for you. And that religion, that belief system, that, that faith system, that is Christianity. That is the belief that Jesus came to pay a price for your sin that you could not pay for yourself because no, no matter how great we get at praying the Lord's Prayer, Lord, lead me not in temptation. We find ourselves in temptation and we find ourselves giving into it and that's where God says and he comes and he goes, I am paying the price for you because you're never gonna get the identity right. You're never gonna get the purify, purification process right. You're never gonna do everything right from start to finish. I am coming because I am the beginning and the end. I am the one who starts and finishes, I am the one who has come to save. That is the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. The hope that we have coming out of the story of the temptation of Jesus is not that we're gonna be perfect in overcoming temptation. The hope we have coming out of this passage is that there is one that overcame temptation and his name is Jesus and we get to live in the freedom that he brings through a life that is surrendered to him. Can we stand up in this place? The first question that I wanna ask as we begin to end here is, have you made a decision to follow this Jesus? When we overcomplicate this stuff, one of the things that we have been terrible at doing as a church is simplifying people's lives and overcomplicating the gospel. Ah, you got a big problem, there's something going on in your life, it's okay. Gospel will, will cover it. And like, in some ways that's, that's the truth. But when we oversimplify the things people are going on, we feel reduced to, to something that we are not. We are very complicated people, but the gospel is very simple. We cannot do anything in our own power to be accepted by God. God did it for us. And Romans says, whoever believes in their heart and confesses with their mouth that Jesus is Lord will be saved. That doesn't mean that you give up on trying to follow God's laws and decrees. No, that means that you are empowered to follow them through the power of his spirit once you accept a relationship with Jesus. With every head bowed and eye closed in this place, maybe you walked in here today and, uh, and you've never made that decision to follow Jesus. If that's you, nobody's looking around. We're not trying to manipulate anybody. We just want to, I want to know who I'm praying for. And again, I'm not going to point you out. I just want to, I want you to have a moment with God where you're able to make a decision yourself where you want to stand with Jesus. Whoever believes in their heart and confesses with their mouth will be saved. We'll get to spend eternity with God. That means then, but also now. If that's you and you want to make that decision, can you just slip a hand up right now just so I know who I'm praying for? You're saying, hey, that's me. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for those that might be making a decision in this room to follow you, God. We pray that your Holy Spirit would come and fill them as you promised it would. In fact, we know that this decision is only possible through your presence. So God, we pray that you would walk with them on this new journey of faith. May we be able to surround them and help walk with them as they face all that is to come in their lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Come on, can we celebrate in this place? Amen. And we're about to go back into worship, not for too long. But I do just want to pray for us as we head into worship. And so why don't we just close ourselves in, into a moment of privacy and, and aloneness with God. And as we consider the words and, that have been written in Matthew chapter 4, and we consider the story 
of Jesus' own temptation. And we reflect our own, on our own lives. And maybe a number of the things that I've mentioned here today are things that you've been struggling with. I've been struggling in all three categories. And you're just going, man, I, I need to surrender this. And our Holy Spirit nights that we did a few weeks ago started with repentance. The Asbury revival started with repentance. A, a walk with Jesus starts with repentance. A life with Jesus starts with repentance. And maybe today what we need to do, those of us that have decided to follow Jesus, is to admit to him once again that we cannot do this in our own strength, but we need his strength to wash over us. If that's you today and you just love prayer for that, can you just raise a hand? Amen. All across this place. Jesus, as we get ready to worship you, to ascribe to you, you to you your worth, Father, we pray that even in this moment, as we come to terms with our own weakness and our own attempts to be perfect, forgetting the, re- the way in which we came into salvation was not in our own strength, and forgetting that the way in which we are continually sanctified is also not in our own strength. God, we sit here and we repent and we say, God, not by my strength or my might or my will, but yours. And Father, we pray in this room right now that God, you would be the motivating factor. That God, you would be the strengthening factor. That you would be the determining one that would be able to move us across the line. That God, you would bring us into all holiness. Father, as we worship you, we pray that you yourself would purify us in this place. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, come on, let's sing. Thanks again for listening to our Sunday podcast. To hear more messages like these, be sure to share and subscribe. We're thankful for all that God is doing in our church right now. We would love to have you be a part of what is going on. You can connect with us by filling out a connect card online at slatechurch.com. And hey, stay tuned for more content coming soon.